0: If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find John chapter 12, John chapter 12. As we move into the Easter season in this message titled Unashamed Worship. Just a few days after I became a Christian, I I just immediately fell in love with God's word. I want to know everything I could know about God, and I was working at John Deere, and I had a little Gideon New Testament, and during break, I went off to the side, sat on a pallet, and just to read through the New Testament. It was the first time I'd ever read through it, and uh, I was you know, sort of incognito, and I'm reading, and this guy walked up to me, a guy that I had been smoking dope with for a long period of time. He walks right up to me, sees me reading the Bible, and he goes, dude, are you reading the Bible? And in that moment, at first, I just thought, oh, my goodness, I've been caught. (laughs) And then I looked at him, and I go, yeah, like, what about it? And he goes, and literally, he he gets on his knee. He goes, man, I think that's like the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And I remember in that moment thinking, Lord, help me always to acknowledge you when you give me the opportunity. When you think of the word unashamed, what comes to your mind? What comes to your mind? Let me put it differently. Complete the sentence I'm an unashamed Christian. Somebody was in the last service. (laughs) Because I know that's not what you'd say in your heart, some of you. I'm not saying that person wouldn't. Some of you say, I'm an unashamed American. I'm an unashamed Republican. I'm an unashamed conservative. I'm an unashamed libertarian. I'm an unashamed liberal. All 14 of you out there. I'm just joking. Gee, calm down. I'm an unashamed conspiracy theorist, which nobody would admit, but whatever. I'm an unashamed culture warrior going after all the lies and the, you know, the poison Kool-Aid everybody's drinking around here. Hey, how about just I'm an unashamed Christian? What do you think of that? Be careful though. Really, would you be able to say that? Would your life say that? Would it testify to you being an unashamed Christian? Because the opposite of unashamed is shame. And shame is a function of our conscience. We feel shame. When we shrink back from speaking up when the opportunity avails itself, or don't take our stand, it was just a few days after that great commitment, commitment I made in the factory at John Deere that I was on a bike ride with my wife, and we were in my old neighborhood, and we came upon, we came upon Wilson's, or rather Wilcox Neighborhood Grocery Store. You're looking at the building at what it looks like today, just a shack of a place. But that's the grocery store where our family would walk and get our bread, we get our milk, and we get our meat from Wilcox. And uh, so we were, uh, so I was just been married for a couple of months or maybe, whatever, it wasn't very long. It was around 1982. But by, I'd just become a Christian, remember, a few days earlier. And so I went into Wilcox to buy a pack of gum, show my, my wife, this is, the, this is the neighborhood store we went to. And Mr. Wilcox was there, just us and Mr. Wilcox. He remembered me. Hey, Mr. Numbers, how are you doing? I said, great, how are you? Told my wife about all the stuff we did when we were kids and how we walked here and how I, at one time, bought milk. You guys, remember when you buy gallons of milk that were glass and the plastic handles? And I'm walking home as a little boy with those a gal- two gallons of milk, slipped on ice, both broke on the sidewalk. Told that, yes, it was sad, so sad psychologically damaged me the whole nine yards. (laughs) But I'm talking to Mr. Wilcox there, and uh, he goes, this is ironic, uh, Mr. Numbers, that you're here, because uh, I know you grew up in this store. We knew each other for many, many years, but this is the last day we'll be open. He said, in fact, we're closing down all these stores, these bigger stores, grocery stores. We just can't afford to stay. open. This is our very last day. He he, He goes, so what have you been up to lately? And instinctively, I looked right at him, and I said, not much. The next thing I remember, we were on our bikes pedaling off. I was convicted. I did not take my stand. And I remember thinking, God, by your help, by your grace, never again. Never again. Let me ask you this morning, what does a, a true worshiper, putting it differently, what does an unashamed worshiper of Jesus look like? I think we're going to see that here in John chapter 12 and the first 11 verses. And just to give you a little background, this is one week before Jesus' death. And a little disclaimer as we go to read this, this looks very similar, but it is not the same story as you read in Luke 7, where you have the harlot that comes to Jesus and does some this, there's a lot of similarities, but it's a radically different context. That was the harlot. This is Mary. This is going to be the sister of Martha, all right? That's a big difference here. Now the text, here it is. Six days before the Passover, the last legitimate Passover this world would ever know, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And by the way, Mark's gospel tells us this isn't Mary and Martha's home. This is the home of, of Simon the leper, how much you want to bet he ain't a leper anymore? It says, so they gave a dinner for Jesus there. So that tells you, even the Greek brings out the fact that there's something special here. This is, a, this is a celebratory deal for Jesus. We're not told why. Maybe because of Lazarus' recent resurrection. Martha served. Don't overlook or minimize that simple statement. Look at it. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those not lying in state, but reclining with him at table. Imagine. And by the way, we'll see this in a moment. At the same time, there is a crowd making their way to this very house just to see Lazarus. Verse 3. Mary. Now, suddenly something happens. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair again mark's gospel tells us he also she also anointed his head the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume but judas iscariot one of the disciples he who was about to betray jesus said why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. That's the, word we get our, that's the Greek word we get our English word kleptomaniac from. Having charge over the money bag he used to help himself to what was put in it, Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor... You always have with you. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So there's the story. One week before the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it would be a crazy week to come. In the next six days, you'd have the triumphal entry. You'd have Jesus cleansing the temple. You'd have him teaching the parables, denouncing the Pharisees, weeping over Jerusalem, teaching the Olivet Discourse. The Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the arrest, enduring the mock trials, which were not a mock at all. They were real trials, but they were under false pretenses, beaten, then hung on a cross. That's what's to come. But the first of these days, the first day in this week, would begin with a worship service in a little house in Bethany. Days earlier, Lazarus was raised. In fact, the enemies of the gospel were so upset about this, an arrest warrant had been put out on Jesus, and a mafia-style hit had been put out on Lazarus. They couldn't deny the miracle, so they sought to destroy the enemy, or the evidence, rather, by putting it back into the tomb where it came out of. Bethany was Jesus' home away from home. Again, a celebratory atmosphere. You've got Simon, the former leper. you got Lazarus. There may have been others that Jesus healed there, for all we know. But standing out above all would have been Lazarus. After all, sick people get better, and even diseases will go away. But dead people don't live again, right? Or do they? The resurrection... And the resurrections he performed were the apex of all miracles, taking that which is dead and making it come alive again. And some of you, many of you have experienced that resurrection. Amen? The spiritual resurrection, being dead in your trespasses and sins. God has raised you up. If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You have experienced the greatest resurrection of all. The one to come after you die, after you get put in the ground, is nothing compared to the one you experienced when you trusted Jesus, if you trusted Jesus, and some of you still need to. But just imagine the scene here's Jesus reclining at table, it's a low table. He's got an elbow on the table, he's got another on the floor, his feet are jutting out backwards, they're eating, across from him is Lazarus. Just imagine the stairs, just within the house. Just the other day, my wife and I were with with some very dear friends that we see so rarely anymore, but they're very dear to our hearts, had the joy of leading them to Christ. Many years ago, they became dear friends to us, and my wife said, she goes, I caught myself just staring at her once in a while. She missed her so much. Imagine the staring going on at Lazarus. Maybe even Jesus. My friend said, I'll bet Jesus was probably having a conversation with Lazarus, something like this. Hey, you know, where you were a week ago, I'll be in a week. Where you you are now, I'll be three days later. Anyway, in the middle of all this, something startling occurs. Mary comes up from behind because the feet would have been naturally sticking out that way. She comes up from behind with this with this expensive nard. It would have come from northern India. Romans used it for anointing heads. And she opens it up and pours it upon the feet of Jesus and upon his head. But she goes for the feet. And by the way, every single time, that's why John doesn't tell us about the head, because every single time you come across this Mary... She's always, she's always at Jesus' feet, every time in the Bible. And her wiping Jesus' feet with her hair would have been shocking. It would have been shameful. Jewish women never let their hair down in public, ever, ever. So this was just unthinkable. It it would have been absolutely shocking. Would anybody here doubt that this is unashamed worship? What is the spirit of this kind of worship? This outpouring, this shamelessness. Well, I think there's a great illustration of it, and Jesus gives it to us in Luke 11. You don't need to go there. But in Luke 11, Jesus gives us these familiar words. See if you can complete them with me. Talking about prayer and the importance of prayer. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will knock and the door will be, you know it, but do you know the context of that? Do you know what kind of asking and seeking and knocking Jesus was talking about so that you and I would understand what he's talking about. Luke tells us that he gave a story. He predicated that, those words, with this story. And he uses uses the fascinating word in the story, where it's it's used only one time in all the New Testament, illustrating the spirit of unashamed worship. In that context, Jesus imagines you going to a friend's house, because somebody is showing up to your house and you don't have what it takes to meet his needs. So you go to your friend's house. Oh, by the way, it's midnight. He's in a dead sleep. And you knock on the door and say, hey, I got somebody here with me. I need a couple of loaves of bread. Can you help me? Jesus goes on and say, you know, the friend is in bed, he's got his kids in bed. He doesn't want to disrupt the house. He'd rather not do it. Take care of it yourself. But something that you do in that moment changes your friend's mind you know what it was? Here's what it says. I've got it up here for you. Because of your shameless audacity. That's the way the NIV puts it. Great translation from the Greek, exactly what the word means. Because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The word, this word used only here, literally means unembarrassed boldness. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about unashamed worship. David illustrated this, the king. You remember when the ark had been taken captive by the Philistines and it would remain in the house of an Israelite for 20 years when David attempted to bring it in, that which represented the very presence of God, into the city of David. Remember, there was death they did it wrongly. The whole thing went back. It was just just complete debacle. Finally, when David is able to do it right and bring the ark into the city, he is rejoicing. This is a new day. The presence of God is with us. He is whirling. Literally, the Hebrew says, he is whirling around with joy, apparently looking a little inappropriate for his wife who despises him and calls him out on it. Look at you. Acting undignified in front of everyone. You should be ashamed of yourself. Do you remember how David responded? <laughs> Let me show it to you. I will become even more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Have you ever read that? That's unashamed worship. And by the way, ladies, in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible tells us that your hair. Is your glory. Did you know that? So, in a real sense, Mary was laying her glory at the feet of Jesus. That's what she was doing. Is that what you do? What are you willing to lay at the feet of Jesus? What does shameless audacity look like to you? What does unembarrassed boldness come across as? What are, you, what are you willing to demonstrate before God in the declaration of your love for him and before men in your declaration of your dedication to Jesus? Because in the middle of all of this, while everybody's in shock, she's, she's pouring out this ex- extremely expensive perfume upon Jesus' feet his head, everybody's in shock, probably Lazarus as well, and you know, the bean counter speaks up, Judas, what, what are you doing here, this is worth, this is like 300 denarii, this is, that, that's a year's wages, what a waste, what an absolute waste this is. The world never understands unashamed devotion to Jesus. And mark my words, the ungodly will always figure up the cost, but they'll never factor in the value. Judas would be given another chance to repent before he would finally betray Jesus. I think this is where it all made sense to Judas. I'm out of here. I'm getting out of this. But he wouldn't repent. We know that, right? I have a new friend who was not unlike Judas to some degree. He, too, was a thief. He got involved in gambling, got in over his head, had a big debt, went to thievery in order to pay for his debts, got caught went to jail, went to prison. And then through a series of circumstances, God would lead him right here just over a month ago, sitting in the nosebleeds up there, heard the gospel, repented of his sins, was changed. He's a new creation in Christ Jesus today. Would you like to hear his story? He'll come back next week. He's getting baptized. (laughs) By the way, Mark tells us This is fascinating. Mark 14, where the parallel account is, Mark tells us that the other disciples chimed in along with Judas. They were agreeing. This is a waste of money. But Judas led the way. Beware the power of evil to influence. These guys trusted Judas. They saw nothing about him that would lead them to think he was going to betray Jesus. Be careful who you're listening to. And in the middle of all this, while this clamoring is going on, Judas speaks up, the others are buzzing. Boom! Jesus cuts them off, and especially Judas. In fact, here's how Mark puts it. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Which is really a strange statement, isn't it? He's still alive, last I checked. For another six days. You might say that Mary gave her roses before the funeral. I was thinking about this a few years ago. It was our 20th anniversary here at Sailorville, And the church, some of you remember this, surprised us. Surprised my wife and I. We never saw it coming. They flew in people, former pastors, family members came in people pastors engaged guys came in they did a video they honored us it was it was very very humbling embarrassing to some degree mostly humbling more than anything else super encouraging just imagine what was going on in the hearts of my wife and I when it was all sudden done we were just reeling when it was all sudden done a woman in our church comes up to me I kid you not this is what she said wow most people have to die to get something like this And I looked at her, I thought, yeah, that's true. Did you notice at the end of verse three? You can't miss it. The most obvious thing happens when she breaks open this perfume, the entire place is filled with the smell. That's not a mistake. Later on, the Apostle Paul would say, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ unto those who are being saved and unto those who are perishing. To the one, we are the fragrance or the aroma of life giving life. To the other, the aroma of death leading to death. The smell doesn't change. Let me ask you, What kind of fragrance do you leave behind? I'm not asking you what kind of fragrance will you leave behind. I'm asking you what kind of fragrance you are currently leaving behind wherever you go. I want to just wrap this up and talk about how we demonstrate from these three characters, Martha and Lazarus and Mary... We demonstrate unashamed dedication to Jesus when we work without pretense. I told you just in the reading to not pass over that little expression. Martha, what? What did it say? Serve. And this is not the same context that many of you are familiar with in Luke chapter 10. You remember that story, right? Here's Jesus teaching. The Bible says there's Mary sitting at the what? Always at his feet, doing the better thing, doing the right thing. Martha's running around, all worried. The Greek says she's being pulled apart with her anxiety. Lord, look at my sister. She's just sitting there doing nothing. You know the story. This is not the same Martha. I mean, it is the same Martha, but it's not the same Martha. Do you, mean, you know what I mean? She's been changed. She was serving back then, but for herself. Just like some of you do. When you serve with any pretense, it will not be honored by God. She, served with, she was serving without pretense. This is worship. This is the demonstration of true devotion to Jesus. Without narcissism, without anxiety, without selfishness. And just like Paul would later on say, whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever you work at, do it with all your what? With all your heart as unto the Lord and not unto men. Here's the first show of dedication, work without pretense. Secondly, witness without words. That's what Lazarus did. You know, the Bible never records Lazarus ever uttering one word. But wow, what a demonstration of the power of the resurrection. Amen? You ever heard the expression, preach the gospel at all times, and when it's necessary, use words. I got news for you. If you're going to preach the gospel, you got to use words. But we understand, I mean, it was the political commentator George Will who once said, if you have nothing but talk, then talk is worse than nothing. Lazarus just being there is a living example of the power of the resurrected life. So much so, look at it again in verse 11, look at it again. So much so, it tells us, because on account of him, Many of the Jews were going away believing in Jesus. That's effective, right? Anybody believing on account of you? Anybody believing on account of you? Does your life show that you have been resurrected? And if it doesn't, it may well be because you haven't been resurrected. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You still need to repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and trust his death and resurrection on your behalf. If that's you, do it today. Today is the day of salvation. But offer your worship to God, unashamed devotion to Jesus with your work without pretense, with your witness without words, and finally, with your worship without care. That's Mary. I mean, you look at this thing, this scene, so famous to so many of us. While Mary was pouring out, Judas was taking in. What a contrast. While Mary became poor, Judas was stealing from the poor. While Mary worshipped without care, Judas watched with great care. The world will never understand a devoted follower of Jesus, but it will never forget them either. I know that because Jesus said it. Look how Mark puts it. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her, and so it has again. Today, We name our daughters Mary, but we never name our sons Judas. The memory of the just, the writer of Proverbs says, is blessed, but the name of the wicked, like Judas, will rot. Unashamed devotion entails all three of these things, working like Martha, witnessing like Lazarus, worshiping. Like Mary. How about you? I was once asked, before it was cool to raise your hands around here. Hey, what do you think about raising your hands? I said, I don't know. What do you think about kneeling? They didn't know how to respond to that. They wanted to raise their hands, but... They didn't really want to kneel. Just the other day, I was at a young adult experience here, and that's what it was. with the 60-some, 20-somethings worshiping. We heard a great message, and I was in the audience just to see how things would go. And it was a worship experience like I haven't experienced for a long, long time. If Curtis had told me to get on my knees, I would have fallen on my face. Would you get on your knees? Would you get on your knees with me right now? To those of you who are able, would you right now get on your knees? And would you bow your head? And would you pray with me? And as we come before you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts, we want to come to you like Mary. like Lazarus, like Martha. Oh Lord. May our work be truly for you. Can you pray that? May my witness be truly of you. And may my worship be truly to you. We lay ourselves and all of these things at your feet, Lord Jesus. May we be fragrant acceptable offering to you and we ask of course